0: when the company started we were in a slightly different business and we we pivoted to partner with facebook when they first released the facebook audience network where we can actually show facebook ads in your apps and you know in those days we were before we launched the product we were making you know thousands of dollars a day and then we launched with them and within six months we were making a hundred thousand dollars They were spending lots and lots of money. So in reality, the money they were giving me was, it was just, they were just fast forward paying it a little bit early. And I don't know why they said yes. They don't, I'm literally the only company in the world that they've told me that they've ever prepaid. Daniel Todd is currently the CEO and founder of Influence
1: Mobile, a company which helps mobile games expand their user base while growing their influence. I wanted to interview Daniel because his story is a fascinating one, but which differs from all of the other guests we've had on before for one big reason. In this interview, we discussed how he took his company from millions in debt to being on track to gross nearly $70 million a few short years later. While we also talked about some of the most nerve-wracking experiences he's encountered while running businesses, and how he sees his position changing within the organization he's built as it continues to grow. When Daniel is not managing his business, he's advising other companies. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Daniel Todd, and I hope you enjoy how much effort we're putting into creating a better experience for you. Thank you. So Daniel, how did it feel to be millions of dollars in debt and somehow turn it around? Let's focus on the feeling first.
0: Yeah, it wasn't good. You know, there was was a mixture of positive in the sense that at the time we had millions of dollars in debt, I was also seeing business momentum. And so we had, you know, there was some hopes but, you know, we weren't paying, we had, to, we had this large uh, office, we moved out, and so the landlord was suing us, we hadn't paid our Facebook bills, and they wouldn't let us run ads, and we had laid off a lot of employees, and so my transparency had, you know, was pushed to the test at that point in time, because I was telling all of our employees, which was, there was only seven of us at this time, what was happening. But we got there, you know, kind of slowly. So, you know, as a startup, you start with zero money to begin with. And so you're constantly kind of raising money from investors and you're telling this story and you're getting people to, you know, see the same vision and hopefully move forward. And so it was definitely challenging when we had, we were in that much debt, but at the same time, we had learned a lot of lessons. And so, uh, but yeah, it was super ugly, like, But i didn't want to i didn't feel like it was time to go home either so i was talking to american express and trying to negotiate the bills and like trying to figure out and there was somebody was threatening to put us out of business if we didn't pay their bill i'm like well if you put me out of business you will get zero dollars that is 100 for sure right so i didn't disappear i talked to people i told them what the situation was i explained the thing i came up with the plan in my head that i'm like okay well this this could work i you know, we owed the most amount of money to Facebook, who was a big advertising partner. They were actually super cool to deal with. Uh, they let me push it out for many, many years, literally of this, like I'll pay $5,000 this month or I can pay zero and go out of business. And so they let me eventually pay this whole thing back. I got a whole plan in my head of how I was gonna pay everybody. And then I just needed some money and I went and talked to our investors and explained to them, you know, what the plan was. And again, it wasn't like we were not making money. We just weren't making profit. And so like people could see the whole wheel turning and then we just slowly move forward and it still was ugly for at least a good year. Cause like we were, you know, the bill even when we started making more money the bills would go up every single month. Um, <laughs> but eventually it got there. 18, 20 months later, we paid off Facebook. Uh, we were profitable, we were completely debt-free, like it was a pretty amazing trajectory. It definitely
1: sounds like that. And I, I'd love to go into that more with you. It, it sounded like at the time, like what Elon Musk is facing right now with Twitter now X, cause I don't know if you heard, but like, as of yesterday, uh, he couldn't change the company from Twitter to X, um. X being the name of the company he had founded before it became PayPal. So he's kind of going back to his original uh, name where he's firing a bunch of people, not paying bills on, you know, the buildings he's leasing and, and all of that. It just seems like a huge mess. And uh, you were able to get out of it. Let's see if he can get out of it, but this isn't about him. So how did you get into that kind of debt to begin with?
0: So, the when the company started we were in a slightly different business and we we pivoted to partner with facebook when they first released facebook audience network or can actually show facebook ads in your apps and you know in those days we were before we launched the product we were making you know thousands of dollars a day uh and then we launched with them and within six months we were making a hundred thousand dollars a day and so but we were basically taking the money we were making from them and pumping it back into their ads to send us more business. So they were very much in love with us and I was very much in love with them. Right? So like they're giving me money to, uh, well I'm spending money with them to get me users. The users are seeing their ads. I'm giving them points for checking out these Facebook ads. They're like, it's crazy. How are the click through rates so high? I'm like, I'm giving people points for trying out your ads like that's what you said i could do and they're like it's still amazing i'm like i don't know I it doesn't seem that amazing to me but here's the thing that was the problem is i knew that i didn't actually know what the person was doing so i knew we needed to be able to actually reward people for doing things more than just installing an app and walking away but during this whole time it was growing so much and everybody externally was so happy investors were giving me more money everything was going along uh, but I kept telling Facebook, I'm like, you got to share this data with us. And they're like, well we, well, we don't got to. We don't have to at all, and we're not going to. And so uh, so the, the way that it happened was we basically built up a business to a pretty large scale that I you know, was hopeful that Facebook would give us the data we wanted. And then when it became clear that they wouldn't, we started building our own system. But it wasn't like we immediately cut the advertising scale. And so by the time... When Facebook did cut it, we were at a pretty big clip, but now we didn't have their thousands and thousands of advertisers or tens of thousands of advertisers. And so we just, you know, we were spending a million dollars a month. So it didn't, didn't actually take long to get a million and a half dollars in debt. It took like 45 days and we just used up our credit line and then it turned off. And our hope was that we were gonna make enough money to like, you know, we were cutting our costs and hoping to get the profitability. It didn't happen, it didn't happen. So, but there was a lot of things at the same time because we knew we needed to make direct relationships. I actually partnered with a company that I'm not gonna name and they just became this transitional force. So they, they uh, own some of the most popular games in the world. They basically trusted me in this rewards model to make things work out for them. And we started with them giving me, you know, $5,000 a month, which they'd pay like net 30. And eventually, I got them to prepay me half a million dollars a month. You know, it took a long time to get there, and that totally changed our business. So during this like dark time, I was still working the business side, thinking like, okay, well, what's working? Here's what's working for the clients. Again, talking with them, explaining to them what I needed from them to give them more, uh, more users, and then that cycle worked. And then them starting to prepay us changed the the, the cash flow model from me having to collect net 30 and pay like net five to the opposite, where I was collecting my money up front, paying net 30. And then that changed the entire thing. So I could spend more marketing dollars. And we went from, you know, during this window of time, we went from, but well, 3 million a year to this year, we'll do just shy of 70 million in revenue. So all based on that same concept.
1: Yeah, it's incredible how you were able to figure that out and make it work. I think if I was several million dollars in debt, I don't know if I would have the willpower to try to fight through that because I haven't been in anything that bad of a situation. And I mean, I I, I had to give up because for me, the option was start paying for it again with my, with my own money or walk away because no one else wanted to fund it. And I chose to let it die, because I had already put way too much money of my own. Did you put any of your own in when you started this? Or how did you get started with it?
0: Uh, Well, I no, I had raised money from investors. But there was a time where I basically stopped taking pay. So I worked for about two years during this time period, and used all my savings. So I didn't, I didn't put it into the business directly, like I didn't invest. Well, no, that's not true. I did put some into Yeah, so I put in money, but we had raised, uh, over the course, by that time we had raised several million dollars. You know, now we didn't have that money at the time, obviously, but I had investors who trusted me and I'd get like 50,000 to a hundred thousand dollars at a time, but I'd have to pay that money back in six months with solid interest. So I just had to be very, I had to be, so I I was basically taking these short-term loans from investors and uh i was able to calculate out the cash flow gaps that i needed based on these things changing right and so th- and there was like one time where we had a partner in the middle of all this kind of recovery we had a partner that owed us like $400,000 and they were going out of business and they basically stopped paying their bills and i'm like that's going to really suck that we get this whole thing pretty much back on track and then we get destroyed by this uh I feel like that's how business works. Oh, yeah.
1: (laughs) It's just like managing, it's just like constantly managing obstacles that are trying to prevent you from having
0: success. Oh, yeah. Well, even like a few months ago, when Silicon Valley Bank went bankrupt, they had been our bank. If that had happened two years earlier, it would have been horrible. But we had diversified. Did you No, we didn't lose any money. But we, we had money at risk, like we were still using them on day-to-day basis. uh, But we had moved our bulk of our money to another bank. Thankfully, I didn't even really think about that. That's just another risk that, you know, you could have all your money disappear because the bank doesn't know what they're doing. So, yeah, there's all these things, but, but here's what happened with that, with that company that decided they weren't going to pay us. It happened on a Monday. And I generally like, whenever I have any kind of fear Concept in my head. I try to figure out what. Do, how does that drive me to action? Instead of just dwelling on the negative, I'm like, well, what do I got to do? I come up with a plan. And so that was actually the impetus to get this big client of mine to prepay me, because I'm like, okay, who likes me? I'm like, this company likes me. Well, do they like me so much that they would give me a lot of money up front? And like my business partner was like, there's no way they're going to do that. They don't. They're like these. None of these guys prepay anything. I got on the call, I explained to them what I needed and they're like, sure. It sounds good. Send us an invoice and they prepaid me. And then that started to change things. So actually I took that, what was this very negative event, but it inspired me to take creative action. And so I've, I wrote an article on this kind of like, did you ever watch the movie sliding doors with Gwyneth Paltrow? Super interesting movie from a business concept. Cause it tells this story about if she catches the subway, and then she misses the subway and I, I, it's a kind of a depressing movie, but it's this whole concept. Yeah. Kind of like, and you think that like the worst case scenario that happens in her life would be the worst thing, but actually her discovering that like her husband was cheating on her ended up helping her out in the long run. So sometimes when we go through adversity, oftentimes, I mean, people always talk about, you want to have grit and you want to have tenacity. Well, the only reason you have grit and tenacity is because you made it through these tough times. Right? So, um, and I had been through other tough times. So I knew that that's actually a longer story, but when you go through enough tough times, then little tiny, tough times, I know that you think $3 million isn't not a little tiny, tough time, but compared to other crap I'd gone through, I'm like, God, oh, it's not that bad. I made it through worse. So it's just kind of a, 3 million sounds like a big problem
1: from where I stand.
0: It sounds like a big problem, but, uh, I had dealt with bigger problems and made them through successfully. So then you're like. Oh, well I made it through that problem. I can certainly make it through this problem. Right. And so, uh, but yeah, so you have to, instead of all, you know, it's, it's easy to be stressed and have fear, but I constantly try to force that to be like, envision what would have to work. What, who would have to say yes to what to make it? Cause if you can't even envision a plan, then yeah, you got to shut it down. If you're, you know, there was a time where we had money in the bank and my first investor and my wife were like, you should just shut this thing down and take your money. Cause we'd just, uh, I was on the board of a company that sold, got an infusion of cash. And <laughs> I was immediately ready to put it back in the company. And they're both like, that is not a good idea. And I'm like, I know you think it's not a good idea but I think it's a good idea. And we did it. And like I said, that, that was another, Inflection point for us. I'm. I
1: would like to go into that larger issue that you overcame, but first, I'm curious to know what exactly did you say to this client to get them to flip to prepay? Because you said you told them what you needed, but I didn't hear you say at a high level that you told them what the
0: that there was the problem and you needed their help. Uh, well, I had pitched. I had pitched a, this, this two 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 fellows on like a bunch of strategic things, right? including them buying us and like all kinds of things you know because you know someone giving me five million dollars for the company that would have solved it like you know I, I was coming up with various solutions and just one of the things on this ten. so they actually said no to most of the things but the one thing they said yes to was i'm like or instead of giving us millions of dollars and buying us what if you just started prepaying us instead of be paying you know instead of paying me net 30 and then I, I basically told them if you can, instead of paying me $100,000 30 days late, right, 30 days after the month, if you start prepaying me $100,000, I can go from giving you this many users to four times as many users, right? So the benefit to them was they get, and they wanted more of our audience, right? But I could only get more if I could get the cash flow right and start, because I had to pay the Facebooks and the Googles at a certain time period. And that was worth it to them. And they were spending lots and lots of money. So in reality, the money they were giving me was, it was just, they were just fast forward paying it a little bit early. And I don't know why they said yes. They don't, I'm literally the only company in the world that they've told me that they've ever prepaid. Maybe it's because you threw so many options at them. And
1: then that was the last ditch option. They're like, eh, that one doesn't seem so bad. I don't know.
0: I do not know. And, you know, it was very positive outcome, but yeah, I mean, it gave them a lot of different options and I think they were inclined to try to do something. They were happy with us and they remain, they're still, this was back in 2018. They're still a huge client of ours. They've been very happy with our, uh, our relationship with them over many years that we no longer need them to prepay. Like we delivered on all the promises that we told them they would get if they gave us the money and we had had enough of a relationship, I think where they had some trust. And I think the same thing Uh, same thing with investors. Like I was very transparent with investors. Many of our investors will say, you've told us all the good things and the bad things. And so when you, if you're going through a down, a downside scenario and you have a lot of relationships that you've shared all the downside scenarios with in the past, but you've overcome them, it really increases people's confidence that you can do what you say. So you didn't share with these two guys that you pitched that there was an issue you were facing and you needed that cash. I. I don't know that I maybe emphasized the the degree of my concern, but they also knew we were a startup that, you know, like I hadn't hidden the, where we were, like they knew we were a startup, they were a much bigger company. Like no one asked you to prepay because they're in a super strong cash position, right? (laughs) Like, uh, and it wasn't like, again, most of it was cash flow, not that we weren't Uh, like the $400,000. It wasn't so much that I didn't have cash coming that would eventually cover everything. It was like, there'd be a two week stretch where I wouldn't have enough cash to pay payroll. That would be very bad, right? I'd get the cash. But then, you know, two two weeks late is not good for employees. So no, I don't think I, I don't think I detailed that out to them. All I've been there. There were two times
1: I had to pay people late. And I was really upset. And by then they started leaving. They they could see it like, ah, it, it happened twice. It's going to happen a third time. Yeah, and we have. And uh, very shortly after that, we just let everyone go.
0: Yeah, they, well, I went without pay for a very long time. then I had to have, have one other employee who was financially secure enough. He was willing to go without pay for various different months. And I gave him more equity. Um, <clears throat> and he got all paid back. So, yeah, I mean, it's a risk. There's no doubt it's a risk, right? So, but you had to be, but when you start a startup, right, you have nothing and you don't even have a functional business and you only have an idea. But when you, where we were, sure we were farther in the hole, but we had lots more information. We had, we saw the thing working, right? So you had built the widget, the widget was turning, money was coming out of it. Like you could see it working so you're like you know if i wasn't three million dollars in debt this would be really awesome and so and again most of that debt was it was investors in facebook so i mean a bulk of it was in facebook like i said to their credit they were zero they were not willing to write off one dollar but they were very cool with like a very long pay, payback window as long as they got all their money <clears throat> so i credit that and then the investors you know didn't totally have a choice like <laughs> what are they going to do Force them out of business. So, uh, yeah, it was it was ugly. But like I said, I had gone through uglier things, and just realized that like you just got to keep going through it
1: hey just give me 10 seconds of your time i really appreciate you listening to the episode so far and i hope you're loving it and if you are i would love to ask you to subscribe to the channel because what we do is a lot of work and every week we bring you a new guest and a new story and what we do requires so much love so that we can bring you something amazing and every week we're trying really hard to get better guests that have better stories, and improve our ability to tell their stories. So your subscription lets the algorithm know that what we're doing is fantastic. And no commitment, it's free to do. And if you don't like what we're doing later on, you can always unsubscribe. And either way, we would love a like if you don't feel like subscribing at this time. Thank you very much, and we'll take you back to the show now. So I think it's a perfect time to kind of touch on that what was something that was really I don't I don't know if horrific is the right word, because I don't know the context yet. But obviously, you've mentioned in a plural, that you've encountered other things and overcome them.
0: So why don't you kind of share? Yeah. So the very first, so I started a company in 1999. And it was it was kind of like a pay people to surf the internet. This is kind of when like net zero and free eye, and like you could get, free, you know, dialers, you know, when AOL would send out, I don't know if you're even old enough to remember all these things, but there were these, these.
1: Chris, I am, I got AOL discs in the mail. I remember them.
0: Okay, there you go. Well, there was a time where you could get like Kmart had a free dialer and you could get net zero, right? you get internet for free and you'd see these ads at the bottom. Well, there was a company called all advantage that came out that offered to pay people a certain amount of money per minute that they surfed on the internet, uh, and that company raised a buttload of money. And so we were doing something similar. And so we're like, hey, why don't we do this uh, ISP thing? And so uh, we started cutting these deals. And this is all before like the bubble burst in 1999. But anyways, we ended up owing like a hundred thousand dollars to people, and the internet bubble burst, and we couldn't pay any of the bills, and people complained to the Washington State Attorney General. Washington state attorney general contacted us, which was very scary. The very first time that it happens, but we just told them, we told them exactly what happened. We're like, here's what was happening. We used to get paid X and we would share this much with the players and they earned this much. And we were collecting the cash and paying it out like this. And this is what happened and the internet crashed. And now we don't, we, instead of making this much, we make this much. <clears throat> we explained the whole thing to them and they gave us a judgment, right? They're so like, you have to repay all these people, but you only have to pay, it was like six, six cents on the dollar. So they gave us a judgment after explaining everything that was like, I'm like, so you're, you are formally, let me get this right, you are formally discharging 94% of our debt. They're like, yes. I'm like, well, that seems really good, right?
1: So you had to pay 6,000 at the end.
0: Yeah, some very reasonable amount of money, but you also had legal fees and all of that, which I assume was higher. I don't know; it wasn't. We didn't even have lawyers. We just con- We just talked oh. with them. We were like late twenties startup people. You know, we were just being really honest, and that transparency and honesty, I think, gets you a long way. It Doesn't always get you the way, and so they gave us the ruling. We're like, we can live with that, and then we did it. And then years went by and the company recovered and we started growing. And I don't know if you remember, so that business that was this like dialer became the toolbar business that ultimately Google and Yahoo dominated. But there was a time where we got caught up in what was called spyware and adware. So we were delivering ads on people's computers, right? Yeah. And so, uh, there was a time where all the companies in the space were getting investigated and the FTC came knocking on our door. And I was like, that's very scary. But I remembered what happened with the attorney general and I knew we weren't doing anything bad. Right. We were showing ads. People think that's bad, but like, we weren't Russian mobs stealing, like, you know, trying to steal people's credit card numbers. And so, the FTC did a multi-year investigation. There's only like three people in the company, including myself, who could even know about it. You couldn't tell anybody without getting in big trouble. And so, but they were largely investigating, I was the business guy, they were largely investigating my deals. Like, were we in collude? were we colluding with Russian mobsters to steal people's data? I'm like, no. What? Or not? Yeah, no, because there was a company that was doing this. You know, you've heard only of only like, one. You've heard of like spyware, right? And like botnets. Like they, yeah, this is sure. like a legit thing. We eventually work with the FBI and helped the FBI set up stings on Eastern European mob because of like our business. It was crazy. So that's what I'm saying. So like it started with the, with that state attorney general one. And then we did the FTC. I was telling our board, I'm like, I know you guys are freaking out right now, but trust me when this gets done, it's going to vindicate that we never did anything bad. Like we had thousands and thousands of partners distributing our software. And it turns out some of them were doing it without player consent, and we got caught up in this whole thing. And I spent time in Washington D.C. talking to congressmen. But so these do you mean that these people, these uh, referrers of yours,
1: were adding code to your your toolbar? Or they were? How were they? You said they were doing it without uh, player permission. What does that mean?
0: Yeah, yeah. So there there was a way to do it on computers years ago that was called the drive-by install, where. You could use like some kind of JavaScript to force because it was basically like if you remember a long time, same time period, like there was this shareware sites where you could download like Kazal, like all the early uh, companies. When you went to download those, it would be like to get this, you also need this and this and this and this, and you would install this other software. We were one of those place places uh software products. And ninety-eight percent of the people who distributed our software did so. Above board, but some of them didn't. Some of them installed it. Well, some of them installed it with, uh, with the, um, botnets, you know, they were literally European dudes hacked other people's computers. When they were sleeping, they would install software in the background. The next day that person comes and sees our ads and they're like, you know, what the heck are you doing? They'd complain to us. They'd think we did it. We're like, we're not doing this, but they couldn't tell us where they got it anyway. So after years of investigation, FTC shut down some companies in the space for doing exactly what people accused them of doing. And we didn't have those problems. And so, uh, so like, it just, those, and then there were more, there continued to be controversy, right? And so, uh, in the same business, same thing. Yeah. So there was somebody who accused, ceo my business partner of giving them stock instead of stock options even though we had all these emails and uh it resulted in lawsuits and the tens of millions of dollars which all got settled but like all the every single time what would happen is this thing that seemed really horrific uh ended up becoming reasonably manageable and so like time and time again and we and we just dealt with it because number one we knew we weren't doing anything wrong to begin with, right? So like we were in a a new space and there were lots of people, there were people who were bad actors, so it was reasonable for the people interviewing the bad actors or chasing them, to be like, well, they're doing something similar, they're probably bad, but they didn't really ever have, like they didn't know, they just were guessing. So after all of that shenanigans, when we started this company, like just being a few million dollars in debt, you're like, I probably can figure it out, so. Plus, going out of business at the end, as opposed to giving up and just going out of business resulted in the same thing, right? So I just, you know, I stuck around as long as I could. Like, like you said, if I had, uh, there was a time where we got down where we basically had zero more money. I had no personal money left, so I couldn't have carried it forward. So if investors hadn't believed in me, it wouldn't have gone forward. Um, but I'd like to believe that The legacy of my previous behavior is what built up for them to feel comfortable lending me the money.
1: Yeah, I couldn't imagine going through any of those things. I feel like they would all be like world ending for me. Just the anxiety of of having these three letter letter bureaus coming after me would like, yeah.
0: Well, the first one was definitely the scariest because you didn't have any context, right? But after you do one, you're like, well, that actually oddly turned out really beneficial. It was kind of like when those that company that was going to pay Otis 400 grand and said no. And then I ended up asking these other guys a prepay. I don't know how we would have ever grown as fast as we did had that one kind of like event not driven me to to take this action. Right. Because I wouldn't have necessarily thought to ask for prepayment because everybody I talked to were like, nobody does it. But what do they say? Necessity is the mother of invention. So I had the necessity. And I came up with a plan, and I had no idea that they'd say yes, but they did, and we moved along. I try to never make assumptions.
1: I mean, of course, I can't just just say I try to never because I do make assumptions. Everyone makes assumptions. But with that in mind, I try to limit the assumptions I make. And maybe it's because I see my dad as the kind of person that makes tons of assumptions in a way like, oh, you can't negotiate with that insurance company. They'd rather just kick you off and let you find someone else it's like but how do you know that if you don't ask right so like i instead of instead of being told this is the reality i always have to go forward and go but is it
0: and can we do something well you're just making positive assumptions there's a lot of people who make you know like you're making assumptions one way or the other right so my assumption was there was a way to solve the problem right so you envision, so I'm generally more of a person envisioning positive outcomes, right? So I don't, it's not that I don't have anxiety, but I generally am a more glass half full kind of operation, right? So I wake up thinking I'm going to find things that work out. And there are some people who they only see problems, right? And there's, there's a time when that's very necessary, but as an entrepreneurial skill, being more optimistic is, is a very, 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 big benefit i would say
1: my daily outlook is there's more problems than i'd like to deal with but my assumption is i could probably solve most of them relatively easily by just (laughs) like making this positive assumption as you said that a solution can be created even though i don't know what that looks like right now and I don't know how long it's going to take because I don't know what obstacles will get in the way of making that happen, but I have to try. And so, for example, uh, my dad and I went and took my mom to get a car this weekend. She had her car. is It was a 2006 Acura TL. She had it for 17 years. So she got it zero miles off the lot, brand new, bought it 17 years. And when we went uh, we ended up getting a 2022 Acura ILX which was like 35 something whatever off the line we got a it's like a year and a half used so we ended up getting like $15,000 off the car and when they came to us to talk about financing they're like okay Space Coast Union is going to offer you 6.9%. My dad has a credit score of 800. It's like 6.9%. They're like oh it's a really good deal and I'm like w- my dad was like yeah no, we can do that and I'm like w- what about honda of america like what do they say and they came back like they could do 2.99 i'm like great we just saved literally a hundred dollars a month in payments which is 1200 a year over a five-year loan you're looking at like six seven thousand dollars of interest saved just because i asked that question for one second so my dad's the kind of guy who's like eh, and i'm like no why ed like ask <laughs> and so when you do that and Like I ended up getting four or five thousand dollars off the price of the car that they wanted, just because I was like, "Look, this is my price. If you can't give it to me, I'm out the door." And so, like, but it took it took a few hours, but I got everything I wanted. And so, like, I have a uh, I interviewed a guy um, two years ago on the podcast who owns two dealerships. And so afterwards, I texted him like, "Hey, I got my mom a car. I helped my mom get a car. This is you know what it was. This is the deal." And he was like, "This is an incredible deal." He's like, I don't think, he's like, I don't think, like, you could have done any better than you did. And I'm like, great. Um, So I felt, I felt, as you said, vindicated. It felt good to be able to do something for my parents while hopefully showing my dad, hey, if you just, like, ask questions. Because when I said to them, I said, I, like, don't say a word. I'm going to do all of the negotiation. Just like, this is for her, but I'm doing everything. Just keep quiet. Let me talk. And they're like, okay, so hopefully... Because like I, I harp on him all the time. You gotta ask questions. You got because my mom taught me to ask questions. My mom is like the queen of asking questions to a point that she like annoys people sometimes. Which also may, may might have made it easier for me to, I think, hone my skills as an interviewer. But my I think my dad needs to see it in action to go, oh, maybe I should have a little bit more courage to stand up for myself.
0: Although he's like 66, so at this point, who knows? But <laughs> Well sometimes it's not even courage, like, you know, I've seen people with enough money that they they don't necessarily want to do it. Like it's just a convenience issue. But yeah, it can be both, right? So Well, the
1: thing is like they're trying to retire and they don't have passive income. So the minute they stop working, they have to rely on what the government gives them and their savings. And if they don't change their lifestyle now, that money's not gonna last. So that's why it's like, you need to make these changes. And so, you know, sure, if you have 10 million in the bank, fine, you probably don't need to think about it. But for most people, they have to make those changes. And most people, especially in America, live way beyond their means. Um, And my parents are a pretty good example of that, unfortunately. Thankfully, living in Asia and Europe, I've learned to live quite, I don't think minimalistic is the right term. It's, It's probably a good term. But like, I try to live beneath my means. That doesn't mean I have a bad life. I'm traveling all the time. I'm enjoying myself, but I try not to spend more than is necessary, where I think a lot of people just don't think about it. So so your business is a, is on track to do 70 million in
0: 2023? Optimistically, yeah, somewhere, you know, north of 64 or south of 70, you know. If we hit our stretch goal, we'll hit 70.
1: And how many people are on the team now?
0: About 65. And they're remote or they come to to the office now? Primarily remote. So there's about half of the people. Well, no, it's about 60% in the United States and about 40% in Canada. We bought a company uh, that was one of our largest uh, sales and marketing partners in 2021. So two years ago. And then we have a few people outside the US and Canada.
1: So this Canadian company gives you the added benefit of having their own slew of can, uh, of clients or are they just only working on this company
0: now? They don't. Yeah. So they, well, there's a small, there's an agency that represents, you know, so yeah, they, they had relationships with game developers. I had that one that I talked about that was very critical and they had dozens of those. And so I worked with lots of people like them that had all these other relationships, but most of them wouldn't take the time to actually explain what we did. This rewards ecosystem was very new back then. And so uh, to their credit, the sales team, which is amazing and the president really took the time to educate these game developers on what we were doing and how it was different. Cause I explained to them how much it worked with our primary client. And when they did it, they were very happy and they spent more money. And there became a time where I was like, Hey, I've got this proposal. We were doing about four forty thousand $40,000 a month together in business. And we were keeping like roughly 70% and they were keeping 30%. And I said, Hey, if you'll take 20% so we can spend more on marketing, I'll send you more business and we'll eventually, you know, grow together more and more and you'll take a smaller cut, but you get more dollars together. And they agreed to that plan. And yeah. uh, it was 2018. And so roughly two and a half years later, we were doing $4 million a month together in revenue, and we, we finished acquiring them. And it was all because <clears throat> as we, cause we, need to, we spend money every day to bring in users into our app, and so the margin is more important to us. For them, they were just an agency, so they didn't have as much, you know, uh, they had a f- smaller fixed cost. So as long as they just made more total dollars, they didn't have cogs and all these other things. And so it worked out very nice. I'm very happy with it. Sounds like it. Yeah.
1: So as all of these things have happened and you've seen your company grow so fast, how do you see the way your role as, how do you see your role
0: adapting or do you see your role changing at all? For for sure. Uh, In in most of that time from 2018, to call it 2021, I was an individual contributor 90% of the time. So I was still a leader of the company. But we had a very small number of people. So I was literally doing the marketing every day. I was doing these business development calls. Like, uh, we had developers and some customer support people and people handling redemptions, but I was kind of like the main business guy. And then as we got bigger and bigger, it stopped being about me doing all those things I couldn't keep doing it and hiring people, you know, I generally like to backfill people that could do the jobs that I was doing. Um, and that went well. And now it's mainly <clears throat> vision setting and making sure that everybody's happy. You know, like we're very uh, having a good culture and having people being very productive, we're still a very product driven company. The product that we make and the, the, what, what happens um, is very important. And so like I focus on making sure that, that people never leave. So we haven't actually had anybody quit the company in the United States uh, since pre 2018, actually 2018. So it's been six years since somebody quit. And that's an important part for me because like people get more knowledgeable, the longer they stick around. So I want people to be more productive and it improves the quality of the company. So I focus a lot on making sure that people are motivated. They have clear goals, uh, they're compensated fairly. And so that's probably where I spend most of my time. And then I, I still love product ideation. So I'm, I'm building some new games that I get to get my hands dirty on actually coming up with the ideas. But even that, like a lot more of the product management and we now have a team that does all these different things. So, you know, we've productized, or we've created groups of all the different activities that I've done and now I just manage those people.
1: Do you see yourself slowing down at all or retiring or selling this business? Or is this something that you think you'll continue doing? Because like, I, I think for entrepreneurs, the idea of retiring is very difficult. I think we would all be lost if we had literally nothing that we needed to do every day. How do you see that kind of as your career is, is reaching a high point?
0: I love what I do. I did actually, I, I took a year and a half off back. Not in a very good time, but like 2007, 2008, I had sold part of the company that my first company that I started took a year and a half off. Yeah. And it was weird. I had, I had kids that were like teenagers. So I played a lot of call of duty with my son and he loved that. And so like, I got to spend time with them, but yeah, to me, the, the perfect, kind of my, my perfect life is close to what I'm doing, maybe just not as many hours per week of working. Um, but I love, I love connecting with the team and helping people. One of my favorite parts is, is is hiring people and putting them into this perfect position and then, then watching them grow over the years and taking up more responsibility. Uh, and so I like that part. Uh, so our, our plan all along has been to sell the company and I've been very transparent about that. In fact, I just met with every we have 65. I think I've completed 60 in the last month of one-on-ones with every single employee. We're rolling out this new, uh, I call it a Coinfluence bonus program. It's a profit-sharing program tied to us hitting 20 million dollars in EBITDA, um, which is a little bit more than one and a half million dollars a month. And when we when we pay out, we hit this goal, which is 1.5 million a month for for any three months in 2024. I'm going to pay out a million dollars in bonuses. Uh, and it's going to go, it's going to be tied to the value of these coins. So I'm going to give out a certain amount of coins. I don't know the total amount of coins. I am going to take a million dollars roughly divided by the total coins and everybody's going to get kind of get their pro rata part. And so like I just spent a very significant amount of time this month doing that to set this vision towards this goal and making sure everybody knows where we're headed. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of where I would say I'm spending most of my time is in, in that area. And when we do sell, you know, I've, uh, I don't anticipate leaving all that quickly. Right. I imagine sticking around for several years and getting to continue to do just the parts of the business that I love and, you know, having more and more people doing other, other parts. So.
1: What's the most important thing you've learned in life and in business to date? And that'll kind of move us towards our closing thoughts.
0: Uh, It's 100% about the people you work with. Like, I always, and I've said this so many times, people are probably sick of it, I will always hire a person who's 100% cultural fit, and I can even explain what I mean by that, uh, and only a 75% fit for the job, because I, I have found it's way easier to train people to do technical tasks and to do business tasks than it is to find somebody who you wanna work with every single day and then everybody else wants to work with. So uh, it's very important to me to find people which when I, when I define cultural fit, it's primarily somebody who has a growth mindset that believes that they can learn and that people around them can learn. It's not the person who wants all the glory and who wants to become, you know, the smartest person in the room. It's more people are focused on a team effort. We all work together towards a goal. And like lots of times, almost every week, somebody that's new here is like, you've built this amazing company. And while it's true that I, I got the building blocks, going in the right direction. Every single day, each of the employees that work here make it a great place for everybody else. And that is what in my mind is the most important thing because if everybody enjoys coming to work, they have a clearer sense of what they're supposed to do. You've given them the right training. Like it's hard enough to be successful in business with just coming up with an idea. But if you don't have that infrastructure in place, it's nearly impossible. So I focus on that infrastructure and then you can pretty much take that concept and apply it to any business. And then, you know, you've got to iterate through through that stuff. But it's all about the people and enjoying coming to work, In my in my opinion. Well, it's very
1: interesting. I appreciate you sharing all of that with me and with the audience. And if you like this interview, you can learn more about Daniel. And we have another interview that you can see over here that you can learn more about running a business. So thank you very much for your time, Daniel. I appreciate it.